Good morning. <clears throat> so as you heard, I'm from Texas, South Texas. I tell the New Englanders that I'm really from just southern Maine. I just listen to a lot of country music. So that's where the accent's from. Uh, I was at the village for 10 years. Great church. Amazing church. Um, a few things about my bio. I lived in Alaska for five years without any running water or electricity. Um, I was in a dance group, hip-hop group called Oreo Cookie. <laughs> and um, I currently am one of the leading Ironman athletes in the world. So you know right there that one. You, don't, you can laugh. You know that one was a lie. The last one, you'd be like, no, he, there's no way. Have you seen him? He's flying. So <clears throat> I say that last one because I, man has a tendency to lie, and God doesn't. I like the intro about promises. So today's about promises. I set, uh, I'm 38. I've been preaching for a year, and I set 37 years where you are. So I try to preach from that mindset of, hey, I know what it's like on the other side. I relate to you actually better than I do this pulpit, <clears throat> and hopefully that comes across today. So the, um, I was doing research on all the promises of God. Herbert Locker is an author. He wrote a book, All the Promises of God. He calculated that there were 8,000. And um, I remember when I came to know Christ, it was a really, I was 12. It was a really tough spot for me in my life. Uh, my parents were going through a divorce, and it was a lot of pain for me, a lot of fear. And I remember Christ comforting that. And I remember sitting <clears throat> in the pew and listening. It was actually at a camp. It wasn't a pew. It was at a camp. And listening um, to the word, listening to the music. And I felt the Lord comfort me. And I said, man, I, I want that. He's the only comfort I felt in all these years. But no one ever talked about promises of God. Not that day. I've never heard a series on it. There are there. I just personally have been in church most of my life, and I've never heard it. And I was thinking through that for... Um, we have a lot of people who come to visit the church who are... Um, they would say, I'm a professing non-believer. In fact, I really don't believe there's one way, but I like coming here for some reason. And so as I began to think through that, I was like, man, there's... There's promises that God made that I actually wish I would have known back in then. So <clears throat> that's kind of what tonight's uh, message is about. So, or this morning, sorry, I preach at night. Um, we preach Sunday at 6 o'clock. So uh, Michael's given me the permission to extend the service by three or four hours, and we're going to go through all 8,000. <clears> He's come for me, but is there more? Is there things he will do? Is there things that he said he will do? Is there things that he said that he won't do? <clears throat> the definition of a promise a legally binding declaration that gives a person to whom it is made a right to expect or to claim the performance or forbearance of a special event or act. Translated, has God made promises to us <clears throat> that we have the right to follow through, or we have the right to expect that he'll follow through on? So there's, I'm going to give you a couple of them. One of the first ones he set out in Genesis 3.15, the... Um, Basically, most of you may know that story if you're visiting you're not church background. The background of the story is that Adam and Eve were commanded, hey, don't eat of this one, <clears throat> this particular tree. They go eat. They leave the produce department. They try to go hide. Lord finds them, gets onto them, and he talks to the serpent first, the woman second, the man third. And he says to the serpent, specifically, his first promise, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And her offspring will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Translated, I'm going to send a man who you will cut his foot, but he will cut your throat, and he'll save all mankind. <clears throat> Promise number one. 
I appreciate 2 Corinthians that says all these promises that we're going to talk about and, and any promises you look up are fulfilled through Christ. It says 2 Corinthians 1.20, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why through Jesus that we utter amen to God for His glory. <clears throat> then there's a cascade of promises that just start unfolding after Genesis. Exodus 6 You've got a situation where the Israelites are in slavery. He looks to Moses and he says, hey, I'll deliver you out of that specifically. And, and we'll, I'm going to stress one part of this verse, Exodus 6.6. 6, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm. Remember that. And with great acts of judgment. So the Lord promises to take the Israelites out of slavery. And he does. He fulfills that promise. In Exodus 7 through 11, he actually does it with great acts of judgment. That's where you get your 10 plagues. Exodus 14 through 15, <clears throat> he does a uh, deliverance, a final deliverance of them through a mass drowning of all the Egyptian warriors, which was the Red Sea. So he consistently is following through on his. Another one, Leviticus, a book that is consistently setting forth hey, there's a requirement to be clean before me. Leviticus over and over talks about that. Leviticus 17, 11, God makes a promise about atonement. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. God promises, hey, the only way you can stand before me is with a blood sacrifice. At the time, they thought he was just referencing animals. Actually, it was a future promise to us, someone that he would send, though he would murder his son. Numbers, Moses is struggling, he's doubting. The book of Numbers, he's seen miracle after miracle after miracle. Moses is actually <clears throat> a bit beat down by the burden of leadership. He's doubting his call to lead. God's like, hey, I'm going to give you a bunch of elders. Um, he's also struggling because the people complain a lot. <clears throat> the, um, to clarify... What I love about that story is I'm both of those. I've been called to lead, and I absolutely will struggle with doubt. This year, I didn't go to seminary. All these things that, the, that honestly, that the enemy will listen, will say to me, or that I'll just list. I'll have doubt. And the Lord's like, no, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust your calling. I have the same struggle Moses does, and I'm just like the Israelites. I will forget all the things that he's done for me. If I could unpack to you all the miracles that he did to help us move here to New England, um, you would understand. <clears throat> but for two years after I got here and all the miracles that he did, I still struggled with, are you going to help me? And he had spent, in fact, I didn't plan on saying this, at my house is an 800-pound rock that we brought from Texas. And on that rock, it says Ebenezer Lane. I had renamed a street for my wife while we lived there. And Ebenezer is a story of first second that says, until now, the Lord has helped us. I'm in Maine. I'm moving my house into my rental unit by myself. I'm moving that rock by myself. I don't know anybody. My, three, or my daughter, she's five at the time. She's standing there. I'm like, just hold the phone in case this goes bad. You're going to need to call 911. <laughs> For three hours, I am moving this rock. And I sit down on that rock, and I grow. I mean, I've absolutely become an Israelite. I am throwing a hissy fit. Like, seriously, man? Are you going to help me? Like, I'm alone. And the Lord just graciously reminds me, 
you brought a rock that says, till now I have helped you. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm sitting on it, complaining. <laughs> like, I am absolutely that. So, um, so Numbers 11, <clears throat> God says to Moses, and remember I referenced outstretched arm, is the Lord's hand shortened? He's reminding Moses, you remember what I told you in Exodus? That'd help you with an outstretched arm. Is my hand shortened? <clears throat> nope. Now you will see whether my word will come true for you or not. The now is pretty weighty. Just after that, the next day, they get a swarm of quail that is miles wide and 18 inches deep. A walk, day's walk in either direction of quails. <clears throat> Massive promise fulfilled. No way Moses could continue to deny the Lord. And I don't think he was denying him, but doubt. That's definitely not the way I meant to say that. Another example in Numbers uh, which was probably my favorite. I was doing a lot of study about the Lord calling me into ministry, and I came across the story of um, Balaam and Balak. And Balaam is, uh, it's in Numbers, and he's on a, <laughs> um, he's really in confrontation with the Lord, and he gets on his donkey, and he's going to go for a ride, and they're headed up a cliff trail, and the donkey stops. <laughs> and, um, God, this sounds like a joke. But it's, it's really the scripture. So the donkey stops, and the donkey sees an angel, but Balaam can't see it because he's in disobedience to the Lord. And the donkey's whipping the donkey. He's like, come on. I mean, he's beating him. And it records some of the things he says to the donkey. And the donkey turns his head and rebukes him. Like, <laughs> through the donkey, the Lord speaks and rebukes Balaam. And I'm like, man, if the Lord can use a donkey, he can use me. Like, all right, I got some confidence. And one of the things Balaam leaves from that encounter, and he goes to talk to the king, and he says to the king, Numbers 23, 19, God is not man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? There's such an amazing truth in that. I love the fact that the Lord calls us liars. Hey, man is absolutely a liar. I never do, and I never will. Man won't keep his word. I always keep my word. I always fulfill my promises. So over and over and over, there's so many promises. You can do your own word study on it. Um, I'm going to teach a series on it. I actually came uh, back in the spring. I was thinking about that. And so this is really an intro for a bigger series for our church. If you want to put up Psalm 91, I'm going to start preaching now. That was a long intro. <clears throat> Is that up there? Yeah. So we're gonna, let's read that together. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. And when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. And with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. There are three actions in there for man. The because is important because it ties the actions of man to the promise of God. So there's ownership on our part. The first one in verse 14, because he holds fast to me in love. I spent a lot of time on this particular one in prayer. And the Lord just kind of pressed on me, what's your motive for being here? What's your motive for being at church? What's your, what's your heart? I know, I've said on that side, church is a phenomenal social platform. I've made a lot of good friends. I miss a lot of them, actually. The new church that we've started, 
I've made a lot of new friends. Church has brought a lot of peace to my homes. My kids uh, do a lot better. Church brings me peace. There are things about church, there are things about Christ that I really enjoy the benefits of. But is your motivation, is my motivation, and it wasn't always the case. I'd go in and out of it. There are times I absolutely found that I was self-seeking in my motives for worshiping the Lord. And the Lord pressed on me, is our motivation to be near him because we love him or because we love his stuff? How do we know we love God? How do we start loving God? It's 1 John 4.19, because we love because he first loved us. There's a promise right there on the back of that. He first loved us. When that occurs and we realize that, we experience grace. We recognize his power, his might, his glory, his holiness, and his love. It makes us feel small. You feel the grandeur of it. I never have lived next to the ocean in my entire life, ever. And we live one stoplight away from the ocean up in Maine. And I've uh, never been around big waves. The Gulf of Mexico is like an ugly lake. So the waves and the vastness of the ocean, when I stood there for the first time, uh, I was in awe. And I felt safest on the cliff. And I, I realized, as I was thinking, man, that's exactly what this is like. Man, I feel safest when I realize how big he is and how mighty he is and that he loved me first. It's in that safety that I'll bear my soul. It's in that safety that I'll confess my sins. It's in that safety I'll journal some deep thoughts. It's in that safety that I'll actually confess dark sins. I do it because I know that he's safe and that he won't crush me, that he won't take my sins sharpen them down into arrows and turn around and shoot them back at me. He's the only place I can deposit my trash and be assured that I get a holy return. It was humbling to go through that. It causes me to increase my love for him. It increases exponentially. What I've realized is loving God for me is actually loving the opportunity to repent Continual repentance. Repentance is obedience to God. Obedience allows us to experience God's promises. The next one, same verse, the end of 14, says, because he knows my name. Do you know him? A lot of us have had emotional experiences with God, some of us even deeply, but there's a difference between knowing him and knowing about him. So I'm not a Patriots fan, but I know a lot about Brady because I'm an NFL fan. I know his stats, I know his Super Bowls, I know where he's, who he's married to, I've heard about his house, heard a lot about his phone lately. <clears throat> but I don't know him. If I was to sit down and start talking like I know him, you'd be like, man, you don't know that dude. I'll explain over and over again, the Jews heard the promise, the Israelites hear the promise about God, and they watched him fulfill his promises. They struggle with doubt, like I said, I do, and they experience God. And he helped solidify there in their mind who he is. They gave him intimate names. Elohim, strength and power. El Shaddai, which I know because of an Amy Grant song, means God Almighty. That was a really old reference. We were talking about that last night at dinner. Will I get it? There's another one, Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide, which I also know because of a song. When I was younger, we were pretty charismatic. So... And I, was th- I went back and listened to those songs, and, and even though they're a bit hokey from the 80s, 
They're theologically sound. It's like, man, those are spot on. He is the provider. Do I know him this way? Personally, I'll give you an example. Before I give the personal, I'll do those at the end. Genesis 22, it says God tested Abraham. He says to Abraham, I know you love your son. I need you to take him up on the mountain, put him on the altar, and sacrifice him. They get up. The verse actually says he rose early that next morning. I'm like, he didn't go to sleep that night. There's no way he went to sleep that night. Walks up the mountain, gets up there, builds the altar, puts Isaac on it. I imagine his son's starting to catch on, man, this isn't going to go well for me. I imagine his son's starting to cry. Abraham pulls out that knife with the intent to go forward and cut his throat. And God intercedes. The angel says, Abraham, hang on. Don't lay your hand on him or do anything to him. I know that you fear the Lord. Look over there. A ram walks up. Absolutely provided for Isaac and Abraham, both of them. God the provider. He has done that in so many different ways for me. And I appreciate those stories are there in the, in the scriptures. They're tough. They're hard to think through. But praise God, he's a provider. Praise God, they call him Jehovah Jireh. Totally different note. I can't imagine how awkward that was for that walk back down that mountain. Like, this is just, I think a lot about the human element of scriptures. And Isaac's like, so you were going to kill me? Yeah. Like, this is really going to make it hard for me to trust you when we camp again. Like, I can't imagine how hard it was for Isaac. I mean, he's 12. He could cognitively think well. So... And then the last one, Yahweh, there's a bunch of them, but the last one I'm going to mention here, the great I am. Conversation breaks out between God and Moses. God tells Moses, hey, I want this, 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 tell them this, this, and this. And Moses is like, well, who do I tell them <clears throat> sent me when they ask me, what is your name? And God says, tell them I am sent you. The absolute I am. <clears throat> My guess, and I would guess, that you, if you're sitting in here, you've experienced God in these ways. I'm just reminding you of who he is, that you do know him. I hope that you know him. Do you call him by those names? Do you think of him in those terms? Provider, God Almighty, <clears throat> the great I am. Have there been miracles in your life? Has there been a moment where the spirit is so thick that you absolutely know I am is here. Lean on them. Think about them. Chew through them. It's important to remember that the verse reads, because he knows my name. It does not say because he's heard about my name from his friends or family or from some guy on a pulpit with a southern accent. That you know him. It's a personal conversation between you and the Lord. That you don't get to lean on my faith. You don't get to lean on my relationship. It's yours. Do you know him? I love that he makes it really personal. It's about knowing him. Knowing him yields a peace and a blessing that is beyond anything that we could create, is beyond anything that we could purchase, and it's beyond anything that we could steal. Knowing him is amazing. The last one he says, when he calls to me. I have two little girls, so I'm on the playground a lot with them. I don't really play much. I just sit there. But I listen to the conversations. I enjoy listening to kid conversations. One of the ones you'll hear every now and then is, I dare you. And then if they want to kick up the dare, you know the next one? It's a double dog dare. 
And then if a third person wants to get in on this there to really raise the stakes, it's triple dog there. All right, some of you are going to fill it in. Yeah. So in this case, you've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's a holy triple dog there. I dare you to call on me. Call on me. Talk to me. Reach out to me. Engage me. Call me. <clears throat> I, in particular, I actually don't do well with verbal prayer. Like, I get distracted like if I'm praying out loud. Like, Michael came in, he's like, hey, you need to pray long at the end so the band can't be here. I'm like, oh, man, you could have said anything. Like, that's stressing me right now. <clears throat> I don't do well with verbal prayer. So I write my prayers. I write it to stay on track. I write it to keep my conversation with the Lord healthy and balanced and focused. And so I write them a lot. How much do you call them? How much time do you spend talking to him? When's the last time, either in desperation or not, that you dropped to your knees and begged for clarity? When's the last time you put down a fork and fasted for clarity on a decision? I'm not challenging you by saying you're doing anything wrong. I'm challenging you. There's more. Call to him. <clears throat> he actually answered that for me and my wife this week. It's, we called to him. He answered over and over and over again, God is pleading us with us. If you will be about me, I promise I'll be about you. If you will be about me, listen to me, I promise I'll be about you. <clears throat> what are the promises? What does he do? So we said there was three actions. Know him call to him, hold fast to him in love. So he responds with eight promises. One, to deliver us. He says, I will deliver him. God's delivered me from situations that were going to be disasters. And 2002-ish, three-ish, somewhere back there, uh, I was working in a carpet cleaning company and I wanted a new job. And so I went and started scouring job market, found a company that was new to the market. It's called Commercial Depot. It was like the Home Depot, but for commercial outlets. I love the idea and the concept, and I did everything I could to get that job. I hounded the vice president of sales over and over and over again. He finally gave me an opportunity to take a test and come in and interview. It turns out he just didn't want me to call him anymore, <laughs> and I didn't get the job. I was extremely frustrated. In fact, not only was I frustrated that I didn't get the job, I was frustrated that that guy had kind of played me like that because I was trying so hard for work. Instead, I went into uh, the environmental engineering field. I'm not an engineer. I'm not an environmentalist. In fact, the first three months that I was working for that firm, I didn't even know that environmental was environmental, that there was an N in the middle. Totally phonetically horrible at grammar. I'm like, man, I'm not even spelling my own career right. <clears throat> I get into that career. About a year later, I kept an eye on that commercial depot. That company completely collapsed and went out of business. Nine years later, I was still in the environmental industry. I ended up starting my own firm. I sold it. Until this day, I'm still reaping the benefit of him delivering me from a bad situation with another company. I could give you a bunch of stories. That's just one of them. Has he... Now, I don't even use has he. How has he delivered you? I assure you that he has. Maybe you just haven't connected the dots. Another promise, verse 14. Because he holds fast to me, I will deliver him. I will protect him. 
As a business owner and being in the business world, he's protected me from a lot of financial mistakes. I won't get into all of them. <clears throat> I will tell you one story that when I was in, uh, just out of high school, I had bought a, uh, no, actually I was still in high school. I had bought a 1977 GMC Chevy, or GMC truck. And uh, it was an old truck, and I bought it for like 1100 bucks. And I was driving from Dallas back down to San Antonio where I lived, and I was doing about 75 miles an hour. In fact, I had just, I realized when I was getting on the interstate, there was a big 18-wheeler coming, so I really gunned it to get in front of him. I got him. I get up to about 75. <clears throat> I'm at that speed for about, I don't know, four or five seconds. And all of a sudden, the rear end on the truck locks up, and the truck goes into a spin, like NASCAR spin, like smoke. The wheels completely lock. And the truck turns sideways, and it just hops. It's threatening to roll it's threatening to roll. That 18-wheeler, the truck finally stops bouncing and the back end swings. And as the back end swings, the 18-wheeler passes right by me. My truck goes up on a guardrail. I don't know how many feet it was down to the bottom of the bo that guardrail. I get out completely. In fact, I'm shaking actually thinking through. I got so into that story. I get out shaking. And this guy stops. And he goes, holy cow, man. I can't believe your truck didn't flip over. And I can't believe that giant truck didn't push you right like it just missed you <clears throat> he has protected me in so many ways it was an absolute miracle for years i would drive down the same interstate and i would i would intentionally look for those tracks of that mile marker to remember you have protected me it served as a marker in my life <clears throat> i'm sure they've black topped over it by now he's protected my children he's protected my family from sicknesses and disease how has he protected you i assure you that he has because he knows my name, and when he calls to me, the next promise, I will answer him. My parents divorced, like I said, when I was young, and I always wanted to be married. Like in seventh grade, I was really poor, and um, I would get on the bus, and I would ride the bus to the mall, because Dillard's had a, at the time back then, Dillard's had a um, travel agency inside of it, and I would go in there, and I would actually plan out what my honeymoon would be. I was in seventh grade. I really wanted a wife. I'm 24. I'm still begging the Lord for that. He answers. He sends me one. <clears throat> As Michael said, he sent me to New England. I didn't know why. For two years, I asked the Lord why. He eventually answered to plant a church. Right before we left Texas, there was a house that we wanted to buy. We were renting it. And I worked every way I could to try to get that house. And the Lord actually answered and he said, no. We didn't get the house. We ended up buying another one. I know why now. The Lord was looking out for me. He answered. As I said earlier, he answered me and my wife Thursday. We've been praying, should we move basically from the country down to where our church is? He made that overwhelmingly clear. But there are times that he has given me an unanswered prayer, which is an answer. And for that, I'm thankful. I appreciate the no. It's the safest place for me. He knows better than I do, though it might be frustrating at times. I appreciate the no. <clears throat> Maybe somebody should write a country song about unanswered prayers. <clears throat> Too late, huh? That was a Garth Brook reference. Are you looking for his answers? His answers are yours. Which one? His answer or your answer? As I said, no is a really good answer. He promises to answer. Number four, to be with you in trouble. I will answer him. And I will be with him in trouble. 
I really appreciate the exact wording of this text. It does not say eliminate trouble. It says, I'll be with you. Trouble's coming. When it comes, I'll be with you. Trials and tribulations are what form character. Illustration, it's a lot like a tea bag. I'm going to figure out what I'm made of, even what I'm going to taste like to other people when you put me in hot water. <clears throat> I appreciate the trouble because I want to know, well, I really practice what I preach. Do I really believe this? Like, do I really believe this book? The trial puts me through that, the trouble. And then I feel him in there. The logic kind of makes no sense. I'm going to put my faith and hope into a 2,000-year-old dead Jewish guy who got nailed to a tree. That's why it's called faith. And the fact is, I'm absolutely going to, and I'm going to continue doing it, because he has helped me over and over and over, and my wife, in some of the darkest, hardest times I've ever experienced. Times I realized later on were to grow my faith and stir my affections for him. I don't know if any of you, I'm sure most of you in here have seen Top Gun. There's a scene in that movie, right at the beginning, where Cougar is one of the pilots, and he gets into a dogfight, and he gets pretty shooken up psychologically because he realizes, I almost, I almost died. Like, I haven't even seen my kids yet. And he starts to shake real bad, <clears throat> and he's got to go back to their craft carrier and land. And he's got a wingman, and his wingman's Tom Cruise, Maverick. And in this case... Cougar's in trouble. If he doesn't make that platform, he absolutely dies. His fear comes true. And like the Lord does, he consistently, Maverick, completely and consistently comforted him. Hey, you've got this. You're coming in. Keep it level. Move here. Move here. That's exactly how the Lord is, man. He's our wingman. Hey, this is our egg. You'll be fine. Trust in me. Read in me. Pray to me. I'll be with you. You've got this. You aren't going to crash and burn. I'll absolutely get you through this. Lean on me. So there's the gospel in Top Gun. You're welcome for that. That's why I'm a gospel Jedi. Just kidding. The last two are three. There's four, really. I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him. I will honor him with a long life. I will satisfy him, an everlasting life. And then the last one, to show him my salvation. I appreciate that the Lord reminds us that he's sovereign at the very end of this promise that it's his salvation to give. It is not our salvation to earn. David knew this. He knew that sovereignty, he knew the depth and the weight of God's sovereignty. He leaned on it. Um, It was one of the biggest components of his faith. And when I read it, it reminded me that I'm not the one making the promise. God is. And he has over and over kept him. As we said before in Numbers 23, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man, then he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? For he has spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Promise after promise. Remember, I say this from sitting on your side for 37 years. I absolutely know without a doubt that if I never stop praying for Thessalonians 5.17, that if I turn my heart to him, if I call out to him, if I know him, If I love him, I have absolute assurance he's going to keep his promises. He's done it over and over and over for my family. I say it because the scriptures teach it, but I say it because I absolutely know, believe, and have experienced it. For all the promises of God, find their yes in him. That's why it's through Jesus Christ. 
we utter amen to God for his glory. So what does this mean for us? It's up to you. Do you believe him? Will you hold fast to him? Do you want to know him? Will you call to him often? Would you be willing to live like he keeps his promises? Are you willing to go in, all in on your faith? Every preacher who stands up on stage is begging you. You could go in more. You could go in more. He's loving. He's gracious. He's there. You could go in more. It's up to you. That's why I said in the beginning, there's a because and it's tied to part of our actions. How different would our communities be if we lived like he really kept his promises? To deliver, to protect, to answer, to be with, to rescue, honor, long life, and grant salvation. And one last final note, the Bible ends with the same promise it began with. <clears throat> Revelations 21, 20. I say, surely I am coming soon. He promises in the beginning, I'm sending a savior. And he promises in the end, I'm sending a savior. Surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, is how the Bible ends. Maybe we should live like he'd fulfill his promises.